You know, it was so exciting to see so many of you coming in our front door last weekend for our grand reopening. And it was awesome if you were here with us or watching online to see Drew unpack what it meant for David to take on Goliath. And today we're going to look at how to face family drama because David is right in the thick of it. Now, have you ever had those moments in your own life where you've had a relative, an uncle, a father, a sister-in-law who just seemed arrogant and unteachable and unruly and you weren't sure how to react? Or maybe it's your parents. You love your parents. I love my parents. But your parents are still parenting you at age 18, at age 38, and they're still parenting or trying to control you at age 58. What do you do? Or maybe personally, what do you do when you've tried lecturing? Didn't work. You tried avoiding? That didn't work. You've tried pleasing, and that didn't work. What do you do when you're in those circumstances? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we find David in similar, similar circumstances. David battled Goliath. And then he married into royalty. And let me tell you, the giant was the least of his problems. And yet what he does is he uses a very specific technique for handling family drama. What is it? Well, we see it here in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 18. And David behaved wisely in all of his ways. And the Lord was with him. Verse 15, therefore, when Saul saw that he was behaving very wisely, he was afraid of him. For all Judea and Israel loved David. Now, do you see what he's saying? He was able to perform wisely in the most difficult of circumstances. In fact, when we behave wisely, God is with us. In fact, it jumps down to verse 30. It says it again three times in the same chapter. So it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. You know, often when we're around other family members, you go to a Thanksgiving dinner, you go to a Christmas dinner, you have a family vacation, you begin to label everybody with like armchair psychologist. Well, you need to realize they're really dysfunctional because of such and such. They're angerholic and they're really arrogant. And I'm not sure, sure psychoanalyzing and playing armchair psychologist really helps us navigate. Other times what we do is we play the black and white method. Everything's black and white. They shouldn't be doing this and they shouldn't have said that and that's inappropriate. That's probably true. But has that helped us navigate family relationships when you tell somebody they shouldn't do it that way, but they still do? What if we gave you a third lens? Not whether what they're doing is right and wrong, because it's probably wrong. Not whether or not you can psychoanalyze them, because they're probably not open to psychoanalysis anyway. What if we began to see everything through the lens of wise and unwise? How do I approach this circumstance like David did? How do I handle it wisely? Because here's the bottom line. 
everyone in your life is going to try and pull you into their games. Games of gossip, games of triangulation, games of unhealthy behavior. Every family has rules. If you don't understand the rules, you're going to be pulled into other people's games. That's why this lens of wisdom is so helpful. It's saying, I need to understand the rules of the game and figure out how to not get pulled into gossip, pulled into control, pulled into the games. And nobody plays games better than King Saul. He's an angerholic, he is jealous, he's controlling, he's got more dysfunction than anyone in the Bible probably. And David acts wisely in dealing with him. We're going to look at two aspects of behavior. The first one is that unwise behaviors create unhealthy games. Unwise behaviors, they do create unhealthy games. And the truth is some of the most unhealthy, unwise behavior I've ever seen comes from the guy staring back at me in the mirror. But you can have unwise behaviors in the mirror, the person you share a bed with, the person you sit around the Thanksgiving table with, right? So we got to know how to handle it. So number one, we need to identify the unhealthy behaviors. And David has a whole list to pull from Saul. He's fearful, he's envious, he's controlling, he feels entitled. The list is inexhaustible. Let's begin. Now notice that Jonathan, David's brother-in-law, makes a, a commitment that he and David are going to face the insanity, the dynamics, and the dysfunction of their father by staying committed to one another. And this word knit's very interesting. The soul of Jonathan was knit, remember the word knit, to the soul of David. They are committed to doing right by each other no matter what anyone else does. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. Now Saul took him that day, took David, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So we have a highly controlling person. I'm King Saul. Now that you play music for me, now that you've uh, beat the Goliath, no more going to see your own family. I am the only resource you need. Highly controlling. That's the first really behavior of, of Saul we begin to see in his relationship with David. Highly, highly controlling, not letting him see his old family. So what's David going to do with all of this control that's only going to snowball and get worse? Well, I think the word knit gives us a secret here. Notice, the soul of David was knit. David and Jonathan are going to commit to healthy behavior in the midst of dysfunctional behavior. In fact, the word knit comes from the same word used of the phylacteries. If you've ever seen a Jewish person, they will knit or bind the word of God to their head with these phylacteries. They keep little pieces of scripture in these little boxes. That same idea that doing the right thing, doing the wise thing, even if everyone else does the unwise thing, I'm going to be healthy even if everyone else is unhealthy 
healthy. I'm going to knit. I'm going to commit. God, how do I do the right thing? Even if I'm surrounded with excuses to react or to get mad or to lose my temper. Now, Anne knew this. There's a book called Toxic In-Laws, and it describes how to navigate these challenging circumstances. Anne was getting married to Joe, and she was madly in love. And she was also very, very successful with her own brand under her own name as a graphic designer and marketer. However, when she got engaged, because of all the business cards, all of the company name and branding, as well as the websites, she decided not to take her husband's name. And her future mother-in-law went berserk. Ruth couldn't handle it. Not only could she not handle it, but even after they explained the reasons why, Ruth would find ways at family gatherings to embarrass Anne. Anne would overhear, because Ruth was loud about it at a party, yep, Joe's going to always have to take second fiddle to Anne's career. Clearly, she's choosing her career over her marriage. Anne was embarrassed, humiliated, but she didn't think it was the time or it was appropriate to start an argument. And besides, she assumed, you know what? She'll eventually warm to me. She'll eventually grow out of this. Dysfunctional people never grow out of it until they really do soul searching, which they rarely do. In fact, Anne said she went and got professional help. And she said, two grandkids later, and Ruth is worse than ever. So what we need to realize is if we don't knit, if we don't commit appeasing dysfunctional people, avoiding dysfunctional people, trying to want them to like you, sometimes doesn't work. So we need to identify this is an unhealthy behavior so we know where to set up boundaries. So first, we identify control. The second is entitlement. The second bad behavior or unwise behavior in other people we need to identify is entitlement. People give you something and you think it's because they're trying to be nice, but now they feel entitled to you, to your allegiance. And that's exactly what King Saul does. Now Saul set him over the men of war. Hey, listen, you defeated Goliath, but let's not forget, I'm the one that got you that job. I'm the one that set you over the men of war. And because of what I gave you, you're accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. I gave you influence, I gave you access, which could have been an act of generosity. Except with an unhealthy person, they now feel entitled. You owe them for what they did. Now, Some of this could be healthy, right? Hey, I want to be helpful to you. I hope basic decency is you want to be helpful to me. So that can be true of a give and take relationship. But when it moves to entitlement, everything comes with a string attached. We have a big problem. Now, women came out from all the cities of Israel singing to meet King Saul. So the women sang as they danced. And what they sing makes King Saul furious. So what do they sing? Well, King Saul always needs to be the center of attention. And he will give you a little something if it reminds you that he's the most important thing in your life. 
So he comes out this day. All the women are gathered around. This is like, you know, American Idol. America's got talent of the day. Israel's got talent. Everybody comes out to play some music. And what's the hit song? He's used to being the center of the hit song. But this time, they're not singing about King Saul. They're singing about David. And it drives Saul mad. Look what happens. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. Sounds pretty good to Saul so far. And David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. I've lost the spotlight. It's one thing to say David got something and people remember how generous I was to give him that spot. But now people are celebrating him more than me. And notice the women that come out, they actually come out dancing with these symbols. And archaeologists have found symbols dated back to that time period. Here's a couple. Imagine some big old symbols. Saul has sang his thousands, but David, clang, 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 his ten thousands. Other times there were smaller versions. You put on your fingertips as you're singing together. And again, this was the celebration, the music. And King Saul was fine as long as he got the attention. But oh, now that David no longer needs him to have access to popularity, to prestige, to influence, something's rumbling underneath the surface. So we have control. We have the sense of entitlement. That when you're no longer entitled to me and I lose control, I'm getting angry. Third is suspicion. Look at the suspicion this brings up in him. So Saul was very, very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s. And to me, they've only ascribed thousands. It's a numbers game. No one else can win. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. What, what kind of eyed, being eyed by your father-in-law by the king does it mean, you know? It means he's suspicious. Everything you do from this point on, I know what's really going on. You're trying to steal the kingdom from me. And David is going to have to contend with an angry, entitled, suspicious, fearful father-in-law for the rest of his life. I was talking with a friend recently who's had to deal with some pretty challenging circumstances with her father. Her father is extremely wealthy. Her father suffers from bipolar disorder. And her father has spent most of her life using a trust fund to control her. If you don't do this then you're not gonna get that. And it has been the excuse he's used for some of the most emotionally distraught words of, of demeaning, behavior that's totally unacceptable. And as she was trying to figure out how to deal with this in junior high and in high school and into college, she said, yeah, but I, I, I need college to be paid for. And so no matter what happens, no matter what boundary I set, I always think to myself, but, but there's that money. And as she began to go through counseling, her counselor said, listen, what's the wise thing to do here? Do you want freedom in your life? Even if it means you have to pay for some things on your own? Or do you want to allow yourself to be demeaned, destroyed, controlled, shot down, just because someone has money? 
you're going to have to make a decision. It was in the midst of that pain and heartbreak. I talked to my friend recently. I said, let me ask you this. Do you feel like your, your, your family and your dad's been very, very wealthy? Do you feel like his wealth has ever brought him happiness? She thought for a second. She said, no. I've never seen my father happy. I said, then what's the promise that all that wealth will make you happy? Money is good, right? We use it for good things. It, it gives you more choices. But what if you're elevating money so high it's allowing you to allow yourself to be controlled, allow yourself to be demeaned, and you allowed yourself to be treated horribly? See, sometimes we need to prioritize, and maybe freedom and health is more important than money or dysfunction. We had that in our own family. We had a family member who really came out against Beth and I. They felt like we had done something wrong. We called up, we tried to explain why we didn't think it was wrong, we tried to explain the whole circumstance. But this person has a history of being an angerholic, of being very controlling, and not being very open to feedback. And so after this conversation where this person demanded that I put my wife on the phone so they could swear her up and down like they've been doing to me for 30 minutes, I said, no, I'm not going to put my wife on the phone. Well, then you're never going to hear from me again. Hmm. Doesn't sound all bad. (laughs) I said, well, listen, I want to keep a relationship with us, but I also am not going to let you speak to me this way. If you keep swearing at me, I'm going to have to hang up the phone. And until you calm down, I'm not going to let you talk to my wife. Well, this person was not used to boundaries, not used to people calmly setting them with them. And they fired off this letter to everyone in the family, a letter about Chad and Beth Hoven and just described all these half-truths about what happened, what didn't happen. And all of a sudden, we had this huge family dynamic going on, right? So we wisely called family members who got the letter email and we said, listen, you don't need to take sides. This is between us and this person. And we want you to know, continue to be that relative's friend and our friendship. We're not going to ask you to take sides. See, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is saying, how do I keep triangulation, malice, and division out of relationships? And David is going to try and do that. He's going to try and navigate some very challenging times without creating manipulation or triangulation as much as possible. He and Jonathan committed themselves to not be pulled into King Saul's games. So if unhealthy behaviors create unhealthy games, how can we create healthy or wise behaviors? That's the thing about wise behaviors. Wise behaviors, doing things wisely and lovingly, create healthy relationships. So even if everyone around you is incredibly out of control dysfunctional. How do you, like David and Jonathan, commit to some healthy patterns in the middle of the chaos? And that's what they do. The first healthy behavior they commit to is demonstrating selfless love. Not entitlement love, not you owe me love, not talk to me about gossip and we're gonna gossip about the person not in the room. We're gonna treat other people, even dysfunctional people, the way we want to be treated. Remember what happened with Jonathan and David? Jonathan and David made a covenant and a commitment. They knitted to each other to love each other like their own soul. 
was talking to a friend who attends Horizon. They said they had this boss. And this boss, no matter what anyone did, just refused to give out affirmation, only criticism. They said, we just got this new boss. And I'm amazed that this new boss sits down with all the employees individually and as a group and said, I understand in the past there hasn't been a lot of affirmation. That's going to change. I want you to know that when I see you doing something right, I'm going to affirm it. I'm going to celebrate it. When you do something wrong, we're also going to have a conversation. And we're going to get some things corrected. But we're going to create a brand new environment of encouraging one another. This friend said it changed the whole dynamic and morale around the place. Now this is true in families. Heck, my daughter got married a couple years ago and my son-in-law came and lived with us for about six months before they got married. It gave me a very unique opportunity to build a relationship with Brandon. Also, it was during that time, he's getting started in his career, couldn't really afford uh, big car fixes because his car had some damages. So I said, well, how about I'll take it to the junkyard and I'll teach you how to go to the junkyard, how to unstrap some parts, and we can fix your car for about a third of the price of bringing it in. He said, that would be great. I told him I used to take my daughter to the Cincinnati Pull and Pay as well. So sure enough, he and I together went down to the junkyard together. We get to the junkyard to find these parts. We wander our way down to find the Chevy Impala in the backside. And we're moving the wrenches back and forth. We're trying to get this piece off. And, and like it always happens, the last bolt would not come off. And so we're talking together, interacting together. It was after a long day. It was a Sunday afternoon, right after I preached three services. And he said to me, he said, Chad, thank you so much. I don't know very many people who would seemingly be excited about helping somebody after a long day at work. That meant a lot to me. Well, as we're trying to pull out that last bolt, a storm, a tsunami unleashes. It is pouring down rain. We're desperately trying to get this thing off before we get hit. We didn't win. The storm did. We are soaked. We are covered in water, covered in mud. We finally get that bolt off. We grab the parts and here we are running out of the, the uh, Cincinnati pull and pay and we got home and sure enough, there's the new part, the fender that we put on together. But what Brandon said to me was so meaningful. He said, Chad, I don't know anyone else in my life, friends or otherwise, who would serve me in these circumstances the way you are. What if that's how even the dysfunctional people in our life, they saw that how we as followers of Christ act differently. We don't gossip to other people. We also choose to love and be selfless with others to create a, a section of healthy behavior in the middle of this dysfunction. We want to do that just like Jonathan and David did. All right, the second aspect of healthy behavior is to be agreeable whenever possible. Now again, setting boundaries with dysfunctional people is important. But it's easier to set boundaries when you're agreeable most of the time, right? If you have an employee who more often than not says, I'll do it, I'll get it done, done. Then when they do push back, when they do question, it's the exception to the rule and you lean in. Right? What? What's going on? On the other hand, if they're usually belligerent, insubordinate, and they're complaining or pushing back, as a boss, as a father, you're like, same old, same old. 
Look how David is agreeable whenever possible. So David went out. Saul is sending him on missions here and there. David went out wherever Saul sent him. He works for him. He's in his family. David, as often as possible, tries to be agreeable. I can do that. Sure. I'll go there. Sure. I'll get that done. And he, again, look, behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all people. You and I need to continue to act wisely in circumstances. How can I love all the people involved? And if you have a father, if you're a teenager, what if your first instinct was to say yes? Assuming the the request isn't immoral, yes, I'm going to get that done. I may not agree with it. I may not have chosen to do it that way. But yes, I'll do that. Many times our parents would fall over, right? Oh my goodness, you agreed. Everything wasn't a big fight. You chose healthy behaviors, which is not to make a mountain out of every molehill. Two healthy behaviors. Number one, how do we demonstrate selfless love? Number two, how can I be agreeable whenever possible? And if so, notice, even Saul, who's jealous and and angry and suspicious, keeps promoting him because wise people even in a dysfunctional relationship dysfunctional people can recognize that wisdom is going to make their company their kingdom their men of war more successful you can be wise even when you're surrounded by dysfunction now isn't that true that when your kids or an employee regularly is agreeable you're more open when they push back if you serve your kids, your in-laws, really, really well, you're like, hey, we love to babysit the grandkids. Then when the exception comes and you say, hey, listen, you know what, I think you might be overusing mom and dad right now. We do have some things in our own life that don't necessarily revolve around taking care of your kids. Now that might feel like a harsh conversation, but when you're characterized by selfless love and when you're characterized by being agreeable whenever and wherever possible, it makes it easier to have those kind of conversations. But I think this third aspect of wise behaviors gets to the root of sometimes why it's difficult. What is that? Well, the third aspect is how do you and I develop compassion for other people without codependency? Codependency is ultimately idolatry, putting yourself in the place of God. And I'll show you what I mean in just a second. Let's define those terms. Compassion is I imagine what it might be like to be in your circumstances. King Saul's got had a lot of pressure on him. It's got to be really challenging, really difficult, a lot of demands I can't fully understand, right? And David feels compassion for Saul, but not codependency. What's codependency? Codependency isn't just I imagine what it's like and I feel how difficult it might be for you, but codependency is I am responsible for your circumstances or I can control your circumstances. My job is to make you happy. And here's the truth. 
you can't make anyone happy. Only they can choose to be happy. You can't make anyone mad, and you can't make anyone unmad. That's a choice they're making. And when you take responsibility for other people's bad behavior, their controlling, their anger, their suspicion, you're putting yourself in the place of God, and you're now trying to control something that you and I are not qualified to control. It's going to set you up for a real downward spiral. Now let me show you where this shows up in the passage today. How David is able to be compassionate without being codependent. It happened dun, 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 on the next day that a distressing spirit from God. David is going to be in the presence of someone who's depressed and manic and angry and suspicious. And when he doesn't play the right way, that explosion occurs with King Saul. But notice it tells us the distressing spirit isn't because of David's playing, good or bad. It's a distressing spirit from God. God has put these circumstances in place. The distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and there is a spear in his hand. And Saul cast the spear and said, I'm going to pin David to the wall. There are evil people. There are dysfunctional people. There are dangerous people in your life and in my life. And if we're not careful, they're going to try and pull us into their game and make us think or make us feel it's our job to make them happy. I was talking to a mother several years ago, and she said that her mother had been taking care of her brother well into his 50s and 60s because he continued to get into lots and lots of trouble, spending lots and lots of money on some very dysfunctional habits. And as mom was dying, she turned to the sister of this dysfunctional uh, young man and said, listen, I know he's 50, so I guess he's not that young, but she's been treating him like he's still 16. When I die, I don't think he's gonna be able to make it on his own. Will you promise me that you will take care of your brother the way I took care of my son? And this sister was asking me my advice. And I said, love your mom, have compassion for your mom, love the fact that your mom tried to serve your brother, but don't take the deal. It is not your job to take care of your brother at 50 years old, and it wasn't your mom's either. She's trying to pass on a well-meaning dysfunctional codependency that puts you in the place of God. Now sometimes, like with David, you're going to be in a circumstance where it's not just unhealthy, it's dangerous. Remember, he's tried to pin him to the wall twice, twice. So sometimes in dysfunctional circumstances, you just have to remove yourself from it. Remove yourself from the circumstance. Saul cast that spear and said, I'm going to pin David to the wall. But David escaped the pre his presence twice. There's sometimes people are gossiping, you need to walk out of the room. There's sometimes people are demeaning their husband, demeaning their brother, demeaning your dad. You have to speak up. You know, listen, if this is how we're going to talk, I'm going to have to walk out of the room. If you're going to continue to swear at me, I'm going to have to hang up the phone. Healthy, 
You're in control, boundaries. Part of healthy behaviors is not being pulled into other people's games. And one of the games people always want to pull you into is the game of codependency. All right, so what do we do? How do we handle all this together? There's a question we need to ask ourselves that David seemed to be asking himself because Saul will ultimately demote him, remove him from his presence, put him in charge of only the thousands and not the ten thousands. And it says, David behaved wisely and God was with him. If you can behave wisely when you're promoted or demoted and you can sense that God is with you, not based on your circumstances, but based on your behavior, it will change the dynamic. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself in your circumstance. In light of what I've observed in the past about my boss, about my dad, about my sister-in-law, in light of what I've observed in the past, in light of what I can or cannot control in the present, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do here? In light of what you've observed in the past, rescuing them, avoiding them, placating them, hasn't worked. It's not gonna work. So that's not the wise thing to do. In light of what I can control, because sometimes in a circumstance, there's things you can and can't control. And light of your future, what kind of dysfunction do you want to kind of put up with or not put up with? What is the wise thing to do? And this is where Jesus offers us a very unique solution. The reason Jesus came to earth was to die for idolatry. Your and I tendency to put something, money, power, prestige, ahead of God. That's why Jesus died because we put other things in the place of God. And if you will dethrone that idol, you'll be able to ask this question. God, forgive me for putting something in front of you because this dysfunctional person is using that idol, that thing, to control me. My need for acceptance, my need for affirmation, my need for accolades, my need for money, maybe my need for security. So maybe you wanna pray together. In fact, maybe you wanna join a group. We start groups here this next fall and sometimes you need other people, a men's group, a women's group, a mentor to help look deep into your life and figure out what are those idols you need to confess and untangle yourself from so you can ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? Let's pray together. Father, forgive me. Just say those words to God. Father, forgive me for putting something else in your place. Thank you for dying for me even when I replaced you with acceptance or money. Free me to find my identity in you and to see my current circumstances through your eyes. God, help me love dysfunctional people even as I set boundaries against their dysfunctional behavior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope Horizon can be a continued place that you can be equipped to deal with the real challenges of life and that the Lord will be with you as you behave wisely.